question when we uh, basically deduct all of this is that is inflation going to vein if issuance remains high and if the Houthis will continue to wreak havoc with supply chains in the Red Sea. Um, and once again, last week, uh, we were at least partially right that European inflation would surprise markedly on the soft side of expectations. Um, yeah. Expectations slowly but surely converge towards our view. Um, but inflation is veining pretty fast in Europe, live at least. Uh, the question is whether we would see uh, we will see lagged spillovers of the um, supply chain disruptions in the Red Sea. I wouldn't rule that out. Um, but in case we do not see large uh, disruptions and large price increases to transportation, I'm of the view that the European Central Bank is off by maybe one and a half percentage points uh, in their inflation forecast for just the fir first quarter uh, of uh, 24. You're listening to Macro Sunday, hosted by Andreas Steno. Happy Sunday, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Macro Sunday podcast. I'm Andreas Steno, founder and CEO of Steno Research. And today I'm showcasing the Once de Gala, I think that's the Spanish word for it, um, a whole pamphlet of uh, analysts from Steno Research. Uh, first of all, my uh, my partner in the company, uh, Miguel Rosenwald, our geopolitical strategist. Welcome to you. Thanks a lot. And uh, also a warm welcome to you, Mess Eberhardt, our head of cryptocurrency analysis. Good to see you. Thank you. And um, finally, we have my usual lieutenant with us remote, uh, Emil Müller. Great to see you as well. Cheers, live from the hideout. Here. Yeah, yeah, and uh, a big congrats on your third child, as far as I remember. Um, stop the count. <laughs> I think we <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. <laughs> typically say that, right? Uh, but the reason yeah. why we've brought all of you in the studio today is that we have an action-packed program ahead of us. Uh, we've had a shaky start to the year, to say the least, in financial markets, driven, among other things, by developments in the Red Sea. And the overwhelming title of today's show is spiking freight rates, bringing back inflation, question mark, because this is basically the biggest question mark uh, for investors and um, and economists right now, judging from current price action. The situation in the Red Sea is quite worrying. Um, so I guess we should start with that theme. And um, to get things going, I found an old clip from the Pirates of the Caribbean, and I think it's quite telling for what's ongoing in the Red Sea right now. So here's a soundbite from Pirates of the Caribbean. On deck, you scabrous dogs! Hands for braces! Let go and hold to run free! Now, bring me that horizon. Bad eggs. Drink up, me hearty Joe Ho. <laughs> What a great scene, and uh, 
we're not here to discuss the uh, soap opera between Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, even though that would be a great podcast as well, <laughs> um, with a lot of good sound bites and, and YouTube clips, by the way. Um, but obviously, given I've fa- I found this clip from Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Miguel, I'd like to hand over to you because it seems like the new strategies from the Houth- uh, the new strategy from the Houthis in uh, in the Red Sea is one that resembles the Pirates of the Caribbean quite a bit. Um, what's on? What's happening down there? Yeah, or, or the Pirates of uh, of Somalia, yeah. uh, uh, to be more specific. Now, uh, what we've seen over the past couple of days is, of course, uh, uh, a large attack on the Mask uh, Hangzhou uh, yeah. container ship. Uh, this was a huge news story in Denmark, uh, uh, but 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 globally as well. Um, what we saw there was was a combined mili- uh, missile strike, and then a couple of uh, speedboats attacking a freight ship, basically. And and uh, because of all the American warships down there, they're not only only at, uh, attacking a freight ship; they're attacking an aircraft carrier as well. So the, the odds were definitely not, not in favor of the speedboats. They were wiped out, wiped out of the sea, and uh, but but the attacks are continuing. We've seen a French ship attacked uh, uh, yesterday or on, uh, on Thursday, I think, and. Um, the attacks in the Red Sea are ongoing. The Houthis are, are continuing to, to to strike missiles and now expanding to these speedboat attacks. Um, so, as a consequence of this, Mask has announced a, uh, a a suspension of their travel through the Suez Canal uh, initially for forty eight hours. Now, until further notice, basically, and we're seeing uh, traffic through the Red Sea uh, more or less stalling. Uh, this is. Uh, has a number of effects. We'll get back to that. We, we, I'm, I'm beginning to see some reports of huge chains like IKEA and Home Depot beginning to feel the effects of, of late deliveries. Um, and for the Egyptian government, I mean, and it was it was a t- uh, ship targeted for Egypt today. This is huge. They're losing billions of dollars potentially f- from ships not going through the, uh, the, the the source canal. So everyone in the region is affected by this. Potentially everyone in the world, and we'll we'll try and dive a little into that yeah if we look at satellite photos um from from uh this week it seems like container ships are all redirecting their um their travels south of uh, africa instead of using the suez canal while we still have some activity uh in the bulk space so basically oil tankers uh lng ships etc still traveling through the suez uh, and Emil, I'd, I'd like to ask you about this. Um, do you think there's a, a reason why we see container ships mostly south of Africa, while oil ships, for example, still continue to a certain extent through the Suez? Mm. I think it's largely driven by um, like uh, practical issues. First of all, with I mean, if you if you bomb an oil tanker, it's it, it parties on. Uh, you know, you you can send a rocket into a container ship, and and you know the crew can survive and everything else. But when, when we're talking tankers, it's a different issue. That's that's the first part. Secondly, obviously, um, the cost would simply be inflicted on many of the oil producing countries in the region, and they have no interest in in going down that road. So uh, I think that's that's the other that's the other part here. But obviously, as you know, um, um, as soon as you have shipping routes redirecting you have uh, you know increased cost base you have increased uh, also urgency from the demand side right people getting worried that they won't receive the shipments so all of a sudden it becomes a bit of a, of a self-propelling uh, issue um, so yeah it's it's something to watch in the coming months for sure and if we look at the latest price developments it's now very clear that freight rates on 
container shipments uh, that they're through through the roof. Basically, um, we're talking double up, um, sometimes even more than that, um, just compared to the prices ahead of New Year's and um, Maersk, for example, they now try to. Um, uh, broker deals with their clients uh, on like eight to twelve months horizons with these prices that are a lot higher than what we saw ahead of New Year's. So this is certainly something that yeah. will spill over to, especially transportation costs initially, uh, in the inflation basket, and um, something that should be a worry to central banks. Uh, it will be very interesting to see what they what they say about this uh, when they meet later uh, this month. Mikkel, this story around the Houthis attacking ships in the Red Sea is obviously linked to what's ongoing in Gaza. Uh, and we've had some interesting developments um, in Israel over the course of, of the week uh, with Israel redirecting troops towards Lebanon instead of, of Gaza. What's ongoing there and what's the link to the Houthis? Yeah, so let me start. The Houthis are officially uh, carrying out these attacks in, in solidarity with Hamas. It's their way of hitting Israel in the West. In reality, uh, in my opinion, it's more of a domestic matter. They're uh, shoring up support within Yemen. Uh, the Yemeni populace uh, loves this. Uh, but enough about that. Um, what we've seen in the, in, in the last couple of days is that the, the Israelis have, have pulled some troops out of Gaza. They're still conducting offensive operations, but in my uh, in my estimation, this is the, the first baby step towards the de-intensification of, of the operations in Gaza. Um, they have pulled them apparently north towards Lebanon. Uh, this might be in, 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 in expectation in expectation of a uh, of a Hezbollah attack because uh, Israel carried out a, a missile strike on Hamas uh, deputy leader uh, within Lebanon, where we're. Uh, Hezbollah is situated. So we are seeing some early signs of the, the Gaza conflict spilling over, uh, of course, into the Red Sea. I think that that's a bit of a niche case, but we are seeing attacks from Israel into Lebanon uh, to hunt the Hamas leaders, who are, of course, not present in Gaza. They're sitting uh, uh, all around the Middle East in, 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 in comfy places, but possibly also in Iran, because what we saw uh, the day before yesterday was a huge terrorist strike on a... Um, on a memorial service in, in Kerman in, in Iran. It's still very unclear to everyone who did this. Obviously, the Iranians are blaming Israel. I can't really uh, see any scenario where, where this would make sense for Israel to, to carry, out, carry out a terrorist attack. It's, it's, it's not their style. What, what on earth would they gain from it? Uh, a lot of Iranian exile sources, who are, of course, anti-regime, uh, are pointing to this, to evidence towards this being a false flag attack carried out by the Iranian government. I'm not sure about that. What I'm sure of is that the Iranians have enough on their plate internally to really uh, enter the Gaza-Israel conflict. They're doing this via their their proxies in Hezbollah and the Houthis and Hamas, of course, but I'm, I, I really don't see a scenario where it makes sense for Iran to escalate things vis-a-vis -vis Israel. So I'm not too, convert, too, con, too concerned about these spillovers, um, except for the Red Sea, which has huge financial impl implications overall. Yeah. It has. Um, and as of now, uh, what we know is that, for example, Maersk have decided on this redirection of ships until Jan 15, uh, roughly. Uh, so, yeah, a time span of, of, say, a week to 10 days from here. We don't know what will happen after that. Um, Mikkel, Emil, uh, I'll allow you to, 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 to give a few opinions here. Is this something that will have repercussions into February, March? Is, is it a prolonged stalemate, this, or what's going on here? I don't think so. I mean, 
first of all, the the first solution is uh, uh, is a ceasefire between Hamas and Israel, and that's not completely out of the question in the coming weeks. It depends on how how far the Israelis are willing to go and how, and, and the pressure on on uh, on Israel from the U.S. Uh, the other solution is to make the Houthis stop, and there are two ways to do that. Uh, the first, the obvious one would be increased American attacks, perhaps into Yemen, or perhaps uh, have the U.S. Navy attack some of the uh, Iranian ships that are directing the Houthi attacks within the Red Sea. Um, I think that's a step the, the Americans are, are holding off on. They are possibly holding, hoping for, for the Houthis to simply grow tired of this. Uh, I mean, if, if they have to carry out the, these attacks via speedboat, it's it's basically suicide missions, and at yeah. some point you, you get you get tired of suicide. I mean, uh, there's there's a limit to how, how long this, the Houthis are going to keep this up. They have demonstrated their willingness to attack Israel. They're not really gaining anything from this except internal support, and there's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's it's it is in no one's interest to attack freight ships. So, so uh, I don't see, see this as, as a uh, as a long term problem. Um, the ships are not being sunk. Uh, I mean, the U.S. Navy is there. So, I mean, at some point over the next weeks, months, uh, I expect to see travel uh, or to see uh, shipping routes redirected through the, the Suez Canal again. But that could still have huge, huge impl- uh, implications if if this lasts for for say a month. Emil, any, yeah, anything yeah, you absolutely. want to add on that? Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think I think the, the like what what I'm really watching here is all the messaging coming out of Tehran. I think essentially they are the ones who could really put an end to it from from above, so to speak. I think the Houthis won't indulge in such endeavors unless they had the blessings from Tehran. And uh, the question mark here is to me whether the Iranians really have the appetite for for, for escalation at this point. So I think that's that's the big risk here. And I think that's that's what the Americans are attempting to by uh, by sending in ships into the region. Um, I think in a more say, oh, rather, if if you assess it from a risk perspective, and that's that's really, uh, I would like to ask you, Michael, actually, because I, I'm it's really unclear to me, like to what extent can they even control the Houthis at this point? I mean, if if they're armed to the gills and they're willing to to create chaos, it's you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, you mean the Iranians? I mean, uh, they. It's questionable how much uh, direct control they assert over the Houthis. Uh, one way yeah. is, of course, uh, to stop the flow of missiles. Another thing would be to to remove the Iranian ships from the Red Sea. Uh, that could yeah. be some back-channel deal that the Americans and the Ura- Iranians are working on. If Iranian, if the Iranian ships don't call call the shots for us stop calling the shots for the Houthis, it becomes a lot harder for them to hit the ships. Uh, if they don't supply missiles, then the Houthis will have to to turn to these Somali-style style, uh, <laughs> gunboat attacks, yeah. which, which they will quickly yeah. run tired of. I mean, they're, they're, they're not gaining anything. Yeah. They're, 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 it's, it's basically suicide missions. So the Iranians have a huge, a huge chance of playing this. I think it's 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 very much a matter for these groups to 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 do something. Uh, they cannot be left left uh, embarrassed by inactivity while Hamas is is fighting Israel. So, uh, I I think in Iran in Tehran they're really hoping for a ceasefire soon uh, to have a way out of this. Then Iran will have done. They can point to having having done what they were whatever they can. Uh, but but I don't think Iran is, is looking for a larger escalation than this. But I mean, mm. ultimately here it's also interesting that from a market's perspective, 
Maersk is gaining like yeah. crazy <laughs> in uh, in equity space, <laughs> uh, and similar companies yeah. the same, right? I think Maersk is up more than fifteen percent by the time of talking here, uh, just since New Year's. Um, it's a crazy move, uh, and so far uh, they can pass through costs to clients. They can even increase margins. It seems as a consequence of this, uh, so they're not the direct losers of this. Um, it might be that consumers are by the end of the day, but. Since it's one of the first podcasts of the year, um, <laughs> let's talk about something positive instead of all of this malaise in uh, the Red <laughs> Sea. Uh, and as you can see here, we've um, basically turned uh, the studio into a gay pride parade with all of the stuff that we've <laughs> put on the, uh, on the walls and uh, on the microphones, etc. For those of you watching, um, we have New Year's celebrations all over the studio. Um, and... We were actually planning on a tremendous January uh, because of a great liquidity addition from the U.S. Treasury paired with a liquidity addition from the Federal Reserve, those two in conjunction. Um, what we basically envisaged ahead of the year here was a uh, liquidity addition based on a further uh, withdrawal of liquidity from the overnight reverse repo facility, money being pulled out of um of the Federal Reserve into private repo markets or into uh, T-bill markets, creating private deposits along the way. And liquidity has actually improved quite a bit, but still equities are shaky here because of what's ongoing in the Red Sea. So, Emil, assuming that we can set this Red Sea de uh, debacle a bit aside, um, do you still find reasons to be an optimist here? Or uh, what's your take on, on this cocktail of increasing liquidity and geopolitical tensions? Well, far being from me to exercise a bit of schadenfreude, but if you remember back in December, I did say that um, <laughs> that Powell's presser would perhaps come back to bite him. And uh, alas, here we are with ship uh, freight rates pumping up and uh, liquidity really creating some tailwind. So I think they might, um, well, they, they have an issue at the Federal Reserve right now, I think, um, at least momentarily. Um, the overall pricing pressure going forward should still be within control and range. But nonetheless, I think when you have such a, a vast move in such such a short space of time, you're playing with fire. Mm. That's 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 my view on, on so you know the other losers but consumers are central banks here. Um, but leaving that aside, I think it I mean, usually liquidity tends to support asset prices and it will probably keep at least the floor on it coming forward. But what I'm I'm really sort of uh, worried about is uh, the overall sentiment and long position within uh, within risk assets um, and i still think that's that's a major major risk that could potentially revert uh, so i'm i'm not i'm not too keen on getting long here to be honest with you <laughs> Um, so that, that's how I look at this conjuncture right now. Yeah, and we've certainly seen a mini washout uh, of positioning so far this year, both in fixed income space and in duration-like assets in uh, in equity space. Our asset yeah. allocation model actually points to defensive equity allocations, uh, but still a net long exposure for the month of January when we enter our assumptions on liquidity growth and uh, and inflation, basically meaning that you should buy utilities, consumer stables, stuff like that. And so far, so good. Yeah. We're, we're long that stuff uh, heading into the year, and it's been a great, great call instead of being long technology. Yeah. And speaking of uh, technology and high-risk assets, uh, Mess, I'd like to bring you into the discussion as well, because <laughs> you bet. Um, I am... Um, I looked at the Bitcoin chart, I think, uh, swiftly into the new year on 1st of Jan, and it looked like uh, a big New Year's celebration, basically, in Bitcoin. And all of a sudden, it reversed. Uh, 
what happened there <clears throat> and it, 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 do anyone i mean do we have any evidence of, of who bought the first of jan and, and what happened there i think in general it is we know that the the us sec they will most likely approve this uh, bitcoin's body tf by january 10th at the latest mm. so i think it was just suddenly we went into the month where the market and all us analysts we really expect the sec to to put the to put the put the etf out there mm. uh, and then suddenly on on wednesday there were uh, was coming in an uh, a research note from like a fully unknown unknown broker crypto broker which said that the uh, They did not expect the SEC to approve the uh, ETF, and suddenly it was picked up by all the big uh, crypto medias around the world. And within uh, within yeah, a matter of pretty much minutes, uh, Bitcoin tumbled by by 10%. percent. Uh, there were some over 500 uh, million worth of long positions liquidated, and it also tells you the the state that the crypto uh, market is in right now. It is so much on its toes, um, and just just small news can just like completely break the the narratives around the the ETF. So when we look at the um, spot ETF, both for Bitcoin but also for Ether, um, what's your base case here? I mean, is there anything to this story uh, published earlier this week? It's obviously tricky to know what's ongoing behind closed doors, but. Um, Is it still the base case that we get a spot ETF both in Bitcoin and Ether space within a couple of weeks? Yeah, uh, at least for for Bitcoin, it is mm. our base case that we get it. Mm. We we see all this. Uh, also, just this week, we see all these uh, issuers. They are they are making modifications to their their ETF filings, and what we hear is that these uh, modifications they are at the request of the SEC, and mm. uh, so. We are pretty sure that that at least the Bitcoin ETF that comes uh, next week, mm. and then probably an Ethereum ETF will follow within six months or so. Okay, and obviously very interesting for price action. Um, maybe this is a classic uh, buy the rumors, sell the news kind of event. Yes. And in such case, I guess it makes sense to bet on Ether rather than Bitcoin. Yeah, for sure. I would. Uh, I I would really. Uh, I really like ETH actually now because. Oh. Uh, although that that big oh, sorry that BlackRock filed for the the Ethereum spot ETF back in November, it didn't not get the love that really Bitcoin got. Mm. Uh, so it seems like the market completely overlooked the the same narrative just for Ethereum instead of uh, of Bitcoin. Mm. And um, speaking of liquidity and the impact on risk assets such as crypto and uh, technology uh it's time to play the soundbite from donald trump of the week uh we always have a soundbite with mr donald trump um and when we talk about liquidity we obviously also need to talk about issuance of u.s treasuries because those two themes are so interlinked um and this is a soundbite from a um yeah a, a cnn um program where Donald Trump is asked about the debt ceiling. So it's a quite a, quite a while ago, uh, but the debt ceiling will become interesting towards the uh, presidential election later this year again. So here's Donald's take on the debt ceiling and how to do it. As you know, the U.S. right now 
could be just three weeks away from defaulting on its debt. That could mean millions of jobs lost, people not getting their Social Security payments. People believe it would put the U.S. economy into a recession. Um, on that topic, I want to bring in Marta Cervea, a student here at St. Anselm. She is an undeclared voter who did not vote in 2020. Marta, what's your question? Hi, Mr. President. Hi, thank uh, you. So my question is, what do you think about the United States' current debt situation, and how can we move forward? Uh, such an important question. So we're at $33 trillion, a number that nobody ever thought possible. When we had our economy rocking and rolling just prior to COVID coming in, like literally, we were making a fortune. And oil, we were going to make so much money from oil, we were going to start paying off debt. But then with COVID coming in, we had to do other things. We had to keep this country alive because it was so serious. But we have to get the country back. We have to lower energy prices. We have to lower interest rates. Interest rates are through the roof. Energy has to come down. It all has to come down. And we have to start paying off debt. But when we have a debt limit, and they use that very seriously to me. They came in, Schumer came in with Nancy Pelosi, and they were using it. We'll violate it. We'll do whatever. They talked a whole lot different than they do right now. I say to the Republicans out there, congressmen, senators, if they don't give you massive cuts, you're going to have to do a default. And I don't believe they're going to do a default because I think the Democrats will absolutely cave because you don't want to have that happen. But it's better than what we're doing right now because we're spending money like drunken sailors. So just to be clear, Mr. President, you think... <laughs> and, uh, let's move back to the studio from, uh, from the clip with, with Donald here. Um, quite interesting to, to, to have, at the time, a president um, saying that well, it's, it's certainly an option to default. This could, of course, be part of a negotiation <laughs> tactic, Mikkel, but, um, I mean, ahead of this presidential election, uh, we know that um, the new Republican leadership, basically, in Congress is relatively right-leaning compared to what it was. Um, and there are, I mean, sources within the Republican Party supporting such a stance. Um, so, so what do you make of, of this whole discussion on the fiscal deficit and uh, the issue and pace and all of that ahead of the presidential election? So, so I think the, the Republican Party has become even more hawkish uh, within Congress. Uh, they're, they're basically all on the Trump wagon uh, on this. But the thing that's changed a bit since this interview is that uh, the Republican Party uh, seems it seems likely that they can be bought by other policy areas. Uh, when we talked about this back in October, I think it was uh, I predicted that the U.S. would that Biden would, and the Republicans would come together the European way, that they would uh, exchange uh, voting for the budget with the immigration. Uh, uh, laws, basically uh, tightening immigration laws. Uh, I was completely wrong about that. It all became an, an issue of uh, of ending the wars, of, of stopping Ukraine funding. The last couple of days and weeks, it seems that the, the, the Biden administration has been able to shift focus a little bit. The new Republican leadership is not as focused on Ukraine, so I think the issue is very much back to immigration. And that's an area where, where, where Biden can give a lot and, and can, can uh, cave a lot. The Republicans will be asking for a lot of cuts, but I think they will have they they will be able to do some deal with, with combined with some some massive um, new border walls or whatever uh, mm. Donald Trump would like as well probably, uh, and some immigration cuts. So I think there is an avenue there, uh, but it's still going to be short term deals. Uh, I don't think any long term deals are going to be cut this side of the the, the presidential election. Emil, it's it's pretty typical to see extraordinary spending in a uh, year of elections. Um, and 
should we see extraordinary spending on top of the extraordinary <laughs> spending we saw last year um it kind of ramps up doesn't it i mean what yeah. what what do you expect ahead of this election should we actually expect issuance to increase here uh yes i think that there's a high risk of it um, but from uh, the variety of drivers first of all if we see some material economic cooling um and and uh, and lower revenues than anticipated, Yellen will have to respond to it, obviously. But if we leave that aside, I still think that from a political standpoint, I think you would want to come into the election and perhaps even the next year with a decent cash buffer so you have some leverage in in uh, making a deal uh, the Republicans come coming into uh, coming into the deadline. Um, so that, that that's, that's another thing. But as far as making... Uh, or as far as wiggle room to actually uh, enhance the already uh, planned spending plans, I think it's it, it's a tough ask. You you need to you need some creative guys in the administration, and perhaps Biden has them in abundance. But uh, I'm unfamiliar with their plans, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> and the ultimate question, when we uh, basically deduct all of this, is that is inflation going to vein? if an issuance remains high, and if the Houthis will continue to wreak havoc with supply chains in the Red Sea. Um, and once again, last week, uh, we were at least partially right that European inflation would surprise markedly on the soft side of expectations. Um, yeah. Expectations slowly but surely converge towards our view, um, but inflation is veining pretty fast in Europe live at least uh the question is whether we would see uh, we will see lacked spillovers of the um, supply chain disruptions in the red sea i wouldn't rule that out um but in case we do not see large uh, disruptions and large price increases to transportation i'm of the view that the european central bank is off by maybe one and a half percentage points uh, in their inflation forecast for just the first quarter uh, of uh, 24. um it's very interesting to see how central banks expect January to deliver relatively large price spikes um, across the board in seasonally adjusted terms, basically saying that the January discount season will not be heavy. I strongly oppose um, to that view. Uh, what we see right now in terms of credit card spending, what we see right now uh, also when we... Um, scrape price points on the internet is a very strong discount season um basically because consumers are under pressure uh so everything points to seasonality returning to normal uh meaning that we see substantial price cuts in january um and that is not the base case uh f from uh, at least the european central bank and the bank of england for example so i guess there's still a short-term scope uh for inflation to surprise on the low side of expectations uh the good thing here um, for us as forecasters is if freight rates continue to increase over the next couple of weeks, we will actually be able to forecast consumer prices a couple of months in advance uh, because when a ship leaves, um, say, Colombo uh, in uh, in Sri Lanka uh, or uh, Shanghai, of wherever it, wherever it is, um, uh, with a um, destination in Europe, it takes a while before <laughs> that pass through uh, from freight rates to um, retailers to consumers uh, is uh, is ultimately ended. Uh, so, 
what's happening right now will likely impact March numbers. That's what I'm saying. It's it will not impact January numbers outside of the direct shipping costs, uh, and that's still a minor portion of of the consumer basket. Um, so, very interesting juncture here because Emil and I, I'd like your take on this as well. Should inflation re-increase this year, it will likely wrong foot right about everyone, including Lagarde, Powell, uh, Andrew Bailey, you name it, right? I mean, it's it's basically the worst case scenario for everyone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's also a big question mark if, if, I mean, even if it doesn't, and I mean, have you heard the latest uh, 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 cattle rat, oh, uh, can rattling uh, from uh, from the FOMC members uh, suggesting that rates are, suppo- are are likely to stay at the elevated levels for longer than what the market is currently pricing in. That alone should uh, should wrong foot plenty. Um, so if you actually have some real economic divergence on the side, back in that story, I think we can see bloodbath. Um, it's not my main case, to be honest with you, but it's nonetheless something to hold on to. Yeah. Uh, we've actually made a, a small study on the European Inflation Index and the sensitivity to freight rates. Um, and, well, it goes without saying that transportation costs are very um, sensitive to freight rates. Well, no shit, Sherlock, right? Um, <laughs> clothing and footwear is very sensitive to it as well. Uh, so basically, <laughs> uh, all clothing and footwear arrives from Asia <laughs> by now, uh, yeah. meaning that freight rates will obviously impact pricing. Um, and uh, we also see a clear impact on um, on the uh, costs of housing, water, electricity, gas, and other fuels, again, because of transportation of these things. Uh, yeah. So the direct impact uh, will be seen in these categories, uh, while the rest of the basket is not at least directly impacted a lot, um, uh, also because a lot of of of, uh, of shipments um, arrive via the uh, air routes uh, routes um, for for some of the other categories. Um, yeah. Point in case here, this is a story to watch. For now, we still see downside surprises to inflation, especially uh, in the eurozone and in the UK, also partially in Scandinavia. While it's debatable in the US, uh, the evidence yeah. is is much more mixed. So, final uh, debate of the uh, of the show for this week. If inflation returns, what should we do about it? Is there a smart way to allocate for this ahead of it? And I'd like to start with asking you a question, Mass, and I think this is a trillion-dollar question in crypto space. Is Is (laughs) inflation linked to crypto, and is crypto a good inflation hedge? I will say something which uh, I think that the market and the industry will hate me for, Mm. and that is that uh, crypto is for sure not an inflation hedge. Crypto in general really likes liquidity is probably the most sensitive uh, asset class to liquidity. Mm. And whenever inflation returns at some point, probably it will. Then we will see the central banks uh, decreasing the liquidity, which will hurt crypto for sure. Uh, but of course, it also depends on what time frame you have. If you just have a long enough time frame, then crypto will probably be a hedge, mm. but not in the short term. Yeah. I, I would tend to agree with that assessment. Emil, um, anything that seems particularly attractive from a risk-reward perspective, given this Red Sea turmoil, uh, should we just buy mm. uh, shipping companies here as a hedge, or what do we do about <laughs> it? <laughs> Nearly. Um, I think if, if the inflation story really starts to to gather attention again, it very much depends on the drivers of it. Uh, given the, I mean, the, the odd... Uh, drivers of the US economy at this point where 
it seems as if at least consumers and to a certain extent also businesses are at least keeping somewhat afloat and public spending still hamping up. It's hard to see demand surprising much to the upside, which means that if we really need to, if we really see uh, another inflationary, perhaps not wave, but but reemergence, let's say, it's probably it's, it will probably be due to uh, supply issues, right? And that's basically what this story tracks. I think something to watch here is the spillover into into uh, other freight. Uh, uh, rates, especially if it if it starts hitting uh, the tanker space, it will it would also uh, impact both core prices and thus you know keep the seats hot at at relevant central banks. But um, generally speaking, I think as long as it's supply, you, you probably want to be belong the the spot commodities and uh, various proxies. Whilst if it's really uh, you know another cyclical wave, let's say where activity keeps up, it's it's. That's the other ballpark, right? It's manufacturing and all that stuff, mm. utilities, perhaps even. So that that's how I look at it. But uh, it's 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 a risk rather than my base case, let's say, right now. Yeah, and uh, fingers crossed for a um, a much more calm situation in a couple of weeks from now in the Red Sea. Uh, I don't think we need another inflation wave to say the <laughs> least. For, and I think I speak on behalf <laughs> of all consumers when I say that. Um, we will obviously um, stay on our toes here, uh, talk to our network within the Danish shipping industry because the, the Denmark is, um, yeah, for once, center of attention, <laughs> at least to a certain extent, uh, in this story, uh, with with Maersk being the target of a couple of attacks. Um, and uh, yeah, as, as I said earlier, um, what we hear right now is that they try to increase prices materially uh on um, mm. on container shipments um also with uh, a time frame of eight to 12 months if clients actually accept it uh, they can obviously also see this situation and um well if they if they strike a deal now then uh, it, it may be cheaper mm. than it is in a couple of weeks uh, if the houthis continue <laughs> big also well, great to see you again uh we will likely also invite you back in the studio given this situation in the red sea uh also great to see you mess um Thank you. once we have news on the uh, uh spot etfs uh, we will certainly uh, bring up the discussion on whether it indeed was a by the rumor sell the fact kind of event uh, in crypto space and uh, emil um Hope to see you again on a running basis. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, there's at least nine months until uh, your wife gives birth, gives birth again. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, if you want me out before that, you probably need an argument with my wife, I fear. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so the final thing uh, we've got left in the show this week is to remind you of our disclaimer because we have the best disclaimer in the world uh, and given the <laughs> uncertainty in the red sea uh, i guess uh, it's a good idea to play the disclaimer actually this week so um remember when we discuss trade ideas in this show there are sometimes sometimes maybe good sometimes maybe shit thank you to Gennaro Gattuso and uh, to those of you watching and listening to the show we'll be back again next Sunday with more remember that this is just an appetizer to all of the content that we deliver at stenoresearch.com uh, we have a tremendous offer for you um, from the get-go of the year macro 30 macro 30 will give you 30% off your subscription and remember there's there is a two-week free trial uh, before we even ask you to pay anything see you again next Sunday <laughs>